You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Sam, welcome to Fully Occupied. How are you doing? Great, Matt. Thank you for having me. It's a uh treat to be here and this is my uh my first podcast so it's a big moment for me nice well we'll we'll make sure that this goes on it makes it makes its way into the podcast hall of fame i'm sure it will <laughs> i'm sure people have been waiting waiting for this for decades we'll see if it shows up anybody's uh spotify wrapped you know, for 2021 yeah there you go yeah we'll 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 release it gen one so we get in the <laughs> 2021 um well th- thanks for joining us obviously um we go way back, but uh, maybe for the benefit of our audience, you could um, give us a little background on yourself. Sure. Um, so a little bit of background on myself. So um, I'll, I'll try not to go too far back, um, but I'll sort of start from, you know, with where it is I am, you know, today. Um, currently, I am running a small investment uh, relatively small real estate investment development company um, in the in the Boston suburbs called Hobbsbrook, um, and we are <clears throat> wholly owned by FM Global, which is a um, a very large, relatively quiet but but very large uh, mutual insurance company that's based in in Johnston, Rhode Island. Um, and I've been at Hobbsbrook now for a little over a year. I started in September of of 19, um, which in the, in, in COVID, uh, years is probably about four or five years now. <laughs> it's been, been kind of a long, a long stretch. Um, prior, prior to that, I spent, uh, close to 20 years with Tishman Spire, um, and, uh, about 10 years was, uh, here in the Boston area. And then 10 years before that was in Chicago. And I started my career in the, in the Chicago market, um, and kind of found my way into real estate in, in a circuitous sort of backdoor way, if you will, just through a, a, a friend who I'd met out West who kind of, uh, kind of steered me in, you know, towards real estate as a career um, after I was bouncing around for a couple of years after, after college. Yeah. That, that seems like a, a pretty standard career path into real estate. Um, at least it was for me just bouncing around for a couple of years and then you, you get steered into it through someone yeah, in, in your network, right? I, yeah. I've always, I've always, you know, it, it's a little flippant, but I've, I've always thought of, of, um, you know, commercial real estate as being a little bit of a refugee camp where, um, people just kind of without, <laughs> without, a, without a home that, that either didn't make it or didn't want to go into private equity or investment banking or, um, you know, studied, studied law, but didn't actually become, want to become an attorney or studied architecture, but didn't, didn't chose not to, to become an architect. Um, a lot, lot of sort of an interesting collection of people that, um, um, that, that, that could have gone in lots of different directions with their careers, but, but, but ultimately ended up in, in real estate. So it's always an interesting group of people, I think, to work with. Yeah, for sure. And there's so many facets of real estate, especially today, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, you could, kind of meander your way through a different 
a different path if you'd like. And obviously you've, you've taken a different path since Tishman, but maybe um, you could talk a little bit about what your kind of your, your role, your, your last role at Tishman was and, and how kind of that gave you a view into um, like a global macro look at, you know, real estate, you know, how, how the best teams in the business did things and, and just your personal perspective on, you know, how to be like thinking about a real estate career. So when I started with Tishman Spire, um, and when I say I came in through the back door, I, I, I literally kind of came in through the back door. I, I started, um, in the, in the business as a, a, my first job was answering phones in a property management office and in the, in the suburban Chicago market. And I, I thought that I'd hit a home run cause I was, you know, in this sort of nice office looking out over O'Hare airport and, you know, getting paid, getting a paycheck getting every a paycheck. two weeks. And yeah. <laughs> I thought that, I, I thought that I'd made it and, you know, it was all downhill from, from there. Um, and after a couple of years of knocking around in the, in the suburbs of Chicago, ended up downtown with Tishman Spire still in a, in a uh, property management role, but, but, most of my property management work, you know, was with deals on, on certain projects that had some sort of a, you know, recapitalization development, redevelopment type angle to it. So it was never really, <clears throat> excuse me, just about running, you know, an existing office building. There was always sort of some debt that was being put on it or um, the, the, the equity stack, the capital stack was being reshuffled a little bit or a building was being sold or we were developing or redeveloping it. So always some sort of interesting angle that exposed me to lots of different parts of, of the business. And after a few years in property management, I gravitated towards um, leasing and ended up working with the, the leasing team in, in Chicago. And, you know, Tishman Spire, you know, had, had been around since the, the its current form has been around since the late 70s. And they have an impressive global portfolio, but I was, you know, very much focused on on local regional work and in, in the Chicago market. But, you know, you, you when you're when with a large global organization like that, <clears throat> you have kind of one eye on the horizon with this this large global portfolio, and and you can't help but be interested in what's happening in in China or in India or in Brazil or Europe or New York for that matter, um, all of these different markets and the, and the, and the deal activity in those different markets was always intriguing, but your other eye, of course, always focused on what's happening at the, at the local level, but you know that what you're doing at the local level is having an impact on a, on a global scale. Um, I eventually made my way to, to, to Boston, um, in about in 2010, um, to again in a leasing role to to work on some business and in, in the Boston market, and then from there graduated into into some more regional and 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 uh, national and global roles. In my last five or six years at Tishman Spire, I was running three different functions for the company. So so uh, I was global head of leasing, global head of property management, and then I was also global head of a function which we called corporate outreach. And corporate outreach was really designed to um, really foster and grow relationships with large users that were in our portfolio and large users that weren't necessarily in our portfolio, kind of a business development angle um, uh, where they, you know, where their footprint overlapped with ours and in, in markets around the globe um, and, and, and users that would, you know, place a value on quality real estate, quality management, um, and so I spent a lot of time <clears throat> focusing on those relationships around the globe, 
um, and and stringing together opportunities with those end users to, you know, at the end of the day, trying to get them into our portfolio and expand our relationship, our business relationship with them. So it gave nice. me a good gave me a good sort of world purview and um and and in an interesting way to sort of string together opportunities in multiple markets with 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 clients with multinational um platforms or portfolios yeah i mean those are three very distinct yet interwoven functions within the business i would imagine and the, i think the interesting part of that is you use the term end user i mean when you were at tishman I would imagine you, you kind of consider your tenants as your clients, right? Like your whole business was how do we make these clients successful in our real estate portfolio and, and expand those relationships. So you, you probably had a, a really clear look into how tenants thought about their real estate. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the, the things you learned there? Yeah. So the, and, and you pick up on the, on the term client, which was, you know, I'd like to think I was part of a big, initiating this mind, this mind shift or this mind, a shift in mindset, um, you know, with my colleagues and with my, my teammates at the company, whereas we, you know, you know, I think for a long time was sort of the, the, the formula in commercial real estate was the landlord and, and the tenant. Right. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're a tenant and you want to lease space from the landlord, then, um, you know, we'd, we'd be happy to do business with you. Um, and, but as long as you're willing to pay our rents and you're willing to accept the concession package that we offer you, and you're willing to accept the terms in our lease, then we're happy to do business with you. And it was sort of a, you know, landlord friendly, um, tenant, not so friendly approach to, to leasing, um, space. And one of the things I really focused on was trying to shift the mindset there where you're thinking not, you know, not of not of those end users as tenants, but as as clients, as as customers, right? And trying to to create a customer service and, and a service oriented mindset and approach to doing business, so that those relationships that exist on a local level, where if you've got the Acme company in Chicago, if you treat them well and if you if you if you bend with them and and allow them to grow with you, then then the Acme company is going to want to do business with you in multiple markets. Um, so that was a big part of, of the thinking there. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the, the key to the kingdom was, was getting those relationships to a point where they would invite you, those, those end users would invite you into the discussion where you could go sit down with them at the beginning of the year or whenever it might be and say, all right, so what are you thinking about for the next couple of years? Are you planning to grow? What markets are you interested in growing into? Um, what's driving your decision-making <clears throat> How's the, how's the overall economy affecting you? Um, how are you using space? Um, and, and what, what, what makes space successful for you and what can we do as a landlord and as a developer to position ourselves better, to be able to, to attract you as a user. Um, so, you know, if we're, if we're out acquiring real estate, you know, you know, buying, buying dirt and getting ready to do developments or buying existing buildings that are they're operating and looking to reposition them we need to be mindful about what the customer wants at the end of the day because otherwise we're not going to be successful with a leasing program if we really can't get those you know can't get the get the customer or the client to to lease space from us so um that was really the 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 the, the overarching goal was to get those relationships to a point where we'd get a lot of good information from the tenants and it was, there was reciprocity there. And so what was good for the tenants, what was good for us 
Um, and we got good results as a result of that. It, it made a big difference. But a lot of that sort of came around at the advent of, um, you know, as we sort of see a big shift in the market over the last 10 years or so, um, where a lot of different players are sort of getting introduced to the market and, and influencing the way that landlords um, operate their buildings. Yeah. Are you talking about like technology players or? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you, I mean, I mean, the, the most obvious example is, is probably WeWork, right? Um, and for a long time, they were really thought of as a, like as a technology company and they, you know, y- yes, they had some technology. A lot of it was enabled through technology, but, but a lot of it was really just, you know, a, a really, you know, beefed up, um, you know, really, really focused on, on, customer service and, and saying yes and making it as easy as possible for, for, um, for, for their customers to lease space from them. Um, and, you know, doing short-term deals, you know, really, really bespoke customized space that allowed them to brand it, um, doing and, and opening up spaces for them in multiple markets. And I mean, they really drove the market for a long time. And, and much of that was, was because of technology, right? Because they had a, um, and they still do have a, you know, very, um, you know, the, the, you know, the, an app that, that really, you know, you know, improves communication, um, and, and gives their end user, um, you know, a sense of a better sense of communication, um, you know, what sort of amenities might exist. Um, and that's, that all sort of creates that sense of, you know, community that, that everybody's striving for. And, right. and that, that community was really enabled through technology. Yeah. So when you were at Tishman, we, we overlapped a little bit while you were a client and I was an employee of, of VTS. Mm-hmm. So like they're a, an example of one of those kind of connective tissue type of systems that, a that an owner would use mm-hmm. in order to really understand their client base, be able to have like real time data, um, on how their portfolio was performing. It'd be awesome to hear kind of like, in, and you were the chief kind of proponent of at least that system within Tishman, but it would be also awesome to hear kind of your take on uh, how an owner like Tishman or even Hobsbrook, somebody at a much smaller scale would, would look at implementing technology to kind of take your business into that next generation of, of, of operating. And then after that, it would be awesome to hear about like what you think that means actually for the tenant side, for the, for the customers that like occupy our services. Well, I'll, I'm going to answer it in reverse order. Cause I think that, I think that, you know, the, the, the power of that technology is, is, you know, you know, when you, when you walk into, when you walk into a bar or you walk into the gym or, you know, probably not walking into too many places these days during COVID, but <laughs> you want to, you know, you want people to know who you are. Right. Um, and, you know, if, you know, when you, when you walk into the gym and everybody says, Hey, Matt, or you walk into the bar and everybody recognizes Norm Peterson or Cliff Clavin, when they walk in, it's sort of like, you know, that it, it feels familiar. It feels comfortable. Um, and, and everybody likes that. Right. I mean, everyone knows, like, if you go to the barber, you, you know, that the barber, you know, cuts your hair the way that you like to have your hair cut. Um, and if you go to the coffee shop, you know, you know, that the, the barista serves your coffee just the way that you like it every day when you go in. Um, those little touch points are, are meaningful and, and they make your day that much more pleasant and you're more likely to go back to those places and give them repeat business. So you just if you just if you just kind of take that concept and really expand upon it. And, and not to pick on the Acme company here, but if the Acme company is, is, is busy or is active in, in multiple markets, you know, the, the, 
the the real you know you as a customer as a client you know they're going to be quite pleased when you know if they're talking to Tishman Spire or Hobbsbrook or whoever it might be that does business in multiple markets and if you as the as the landlord as the operator can go to them and say hey we see that you're active with us in Los Angeles and in Chicago and in New York and in London um, we really want to, we'd really love to take advantage of the opportunity to do business with you in multiple markets. We know from your long-term lease in Chicago that you like, you know, you like X, Y, and Z in your lease and you like A, B, and C in your buildings. And we can do that for you in, in all of these other markets um, and these other buildings. And really we can make it as easy for you as possible. That familiarity um, and customizing, customizing that experience and making it special for them <clears throat> is really valuable. And, and the way to do that, you know, what we discovered with, with VTS was that's a really, you know, the way, the, the only way for us to really do that is if we're communicating properly. And, and from my perspective, the opportunity that I saw with VTS uh, when I was growing into this global leasing role and this corporate outreach role was, was using technology as a way to, to kind of, it was kind of the connective tissue between all of us in these, these different markets. So you've got, you know, Tishman Spire is a big company, you know, heavily matrixed, right. You've got department heads and then you've also got regional heads. And so you've got people that are sometimes reporting to two or three different um, heads, heads for their business. Um, it gets kind of hard to get the message through to some people and, and VTS became a tool that was very powerful that allowed us to, um, focus on what was really important as opposed to who you're reporting to and, and the bottom line in your region, but really focusing on, on the client relationship. And so um, that, that became a tool that was really powerful for us in that regard. I, I remember, you know, you're right. I, I mean, I was an early adopter with BTS. I remember when it was actually before they went just to the, to the initials, it was, it was view the space. And, and I remember meeting with, with um, some of the early salespeople, um, and, and coordinating tours of them walking through the space with the video cameras, which they're doing again now in the, in, in the era of COVID. Um, and, and I remember, you know, keeping a yellow uh, legal pad on my desk and throughout the week I would, and I was using the software, I remember sort of making notes every week, you know, all of these little, you know, holes that I was poking in it and things that I thought that they could improve on and, you know, ways to, to enhance the app and having a standing Friday afternoon call with the, with the VTS team, you know, with Nick and Ryan and sort of going through all of the things that I discovered um, throughout my use of the application during the week saying, you know, if you could improve on all of these things, it would be great. And boy, if you guys ever thought you could kind of go and, and, and build out this part of the platform, it would be really powerful for us. And, you know, they were a great partner for us, you know, as we, you know, rolled out VTS and it was kind of fun to grow with them as they expanded into, you know, more and more markets and um, really built up their, their client base. Yeah. I think a good um, example of, of a technology that seemed like so obvious to some, but took a little while to, you know, obviously grow geographically and, and, and square foot footprint wise, but now it was just like a, uh, you know, a staple in the industry, at least on the ownership side. Um, and we, when you, when you look back on your time at Tishman and now at Hobbsbrook, is there an analog to that? Like on the tenant side that you've seen as is dealing with global tenants, individual tenants, um, you know, from the angle that we're looking at at Occupy, which is, you know, part, part of, of why VTS is so compelling is, you know, occupiers, 
have, you know, the same problem. They have regions, different business heads, different third-party brokers, different stakeholders that are all culminating in this real estate decision that is going to support the business as, as best they can. And then the landlord is, is, is really like a vendor to them offering mm-hmm. them space. Yeah. Um, so tell us the good, the bad, the ugly of some of the tenants that you've dealt with in the past and how, how they've managed their process and like what a good real estate strategy and execution looks like. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think on the, on the good strategy execution part of it, I mean, leadership matters. Right. And, um, you know, I think, you know, having somebody that's got, got the vision to be able to, you know, you know, sort of articulate, you know, develop a strategy, articulate it, and then get, get a team to start all marching in the same direction is, is really, is really important. Um, you know, and, and, you know, on the, uh, on the, what's interesting for, for me in this, in this role here, uh, which I think is kind of what you're getting at is that, you know, we, at Hobsbrook, we, we really run two different businesses. We've got a commercial business that we run where we have about five and a half million feet of, of, you know, of, of, of mostly office based, about 75% office and 25% life science. And that's all for profit revenue generating commercial, um, space. And, and we've rolled out VTS and we're using VTS for that part of the business. The other thing that we do, though, um, which, which is interesting, is we run corporate real estate for, for FM Global. So, so for me, what's really interesting is I find myself all of a sudden in the seat um, of, of my clients, you know, for the, all the time I spent at Tishman Spire courting, you know, large corporate users. I'm, it turns out that I'm now a large corporate user. Um, and, you know, we, FM Global and, and Hobsbrook never really had much of a formal corporate real estate program for, um, to, to, to serve the, 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 the real estate needs for the parent company. So, um, your question is interesting because it, we're, we're at the, at the inception of that right now, which is, which is building out a corporate real estate program for the parent company. They never, just never really had it before. So, and as a result of that, they've been they've been underserved, um, and 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 what that what that includes is is coming up with a strategy and a vision, um, and helping the parent company understand what it is that they might need, right? Because they've never really thought about it in those terms before. Um, but we have, you know, FM Global itself occupies about two and a half million feet of space around the globe. Most of it's most of it's leased, but they've got some owned assets. Um, and, and, um, it's hard to keep track of all of it. (laughs) It's like, and you think that there's, you would think that there's just sort of an obvious, simple, easy way to track that, but it's much more complicated and sophisticated than dumping it into an Excel spreadsheet. Um, and then when you start really drilling down into it, you've got lease expiration dates, you've got option dates, um, in some markets, like if you, you know, if you don't opt out of your option, then all of a sudden you're locked into another term in your deal. Um, you, you've got, you know, you've got rent reviews and rent resets and, you know, it's just every single market's different, um, even in the United States, but, you know, around the globe and we have a global footprint. So it's, you know, every single market's very different um, and there, there are unique challenges in every single market. And so, you know, to date, there hasn't been really a silver bullet that solves all of those problems. And so, We've, you know, of course, we've, we're using Occupier now on the on the on the, for the FM Global portfolio, and it's and it's 
for us, it's made a, a huge difference because it gives us an opportunity to kind of centralize the discussion and everybody's sort of focused and, and, and you can sort of, you know, sort of, you can see um, the progress of every single deal, um, the status of, of every single deal, um, who's involved, you know, you know, what's, what's open, what's closed, where, where are our obligations? What do our existing rent obligations look like, you know, and, and, you know, lots of other different variables in there that, that we can all capture in one place that allows us all to be um, focused on, on the right uh, data points um, as opposed to sort of disparate data points that, that, we might be missing and, and that's where we kind of get into trouble. So as I build up that team, we're bringing on a, a new, you know, director of corporate real estate who starts up with us next week. Um, and she's, she's coming in and she's going to be able to, you know, from day one, she's going to be able to see, okay, what's on the front burner and what's on the back burner. What do I need to be worried about on, you know, on Tuesday, my second day, and what do I need to be worried about in six months, you know, halfway into my first year. So, um, it's it's really powerful for us that way, especially as we start thinking about like what is our overall strategy? What are we looking to solve for? What do we need to achieve? Which sort of standards? What should we be establishing? Um, at least we've got now we've got a foundation for that. Yeah, at the end of the day, you're 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 occupying people space, right? It's mostly mm -hmm. for for employees. So, w what do you look at as kind of the key ultimate um, metric or goal for establishing like your real estate process. Obviously there's the financial aspect of it and the risk mitigation and making sure you're on top of your stuff in the portfolio, but how does culture and just top, top to bottom, top to bottom, like transparency within the organization impact, you know, the way you guys will look at making real estate decisions going forward. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a, it's, I think it's an interesting question on its own. I think when applied to, to uh, FM Global and our role at, at Hobbsbrook, I think it's, 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 it's exponentially more interesting. And the reason I say that is because, and this is probably true for most companies right now, kind of coming out of, you know, when seventh, eighth inning of, of COVID um, coming out of this, this era, you know, what's, what's the role of real estate. And it's interesting when I started there, um, there wasn't much of a conversation about, uh, the role that real estate has to play in culture, the role that real estate has to play in recruiting and retaining talent, um, things that, that, that those of us that are in the commercial and the corporate real estate world are, we're used to those conversations, but, but for this company, it's not something that ever really focused on and, and candidly was sort of struggling to have, you know, in my early days at the company, but it's just the same struggling to get a conversation about that going. And then, and then, you know, March 11th, 12th rolls around. Um, the company had been sort of thinking about a remote work policy for their employees. Um, and then turns out that on March 15th, everybody's remote and we've been remote ever, ever yeah, since, right? Right like in whether, your face. Whether, yeah. whether, whether we like it or not. And, and it's, you know, true for, for everybody around the globe right now for the most part. Um, but, you know, FM Global's been around, I think, 185 years. You know, it's an incredibly well-run company, very, very well capitalized. Um, they've got an incredible future. They've got a really unique, uh, a really unique business model um, that, that, as best I can tell, 
um, as I learned, the insurance industry has not yet been replicated. And and if somebody does want to replicate it, they've got 185 years worth of work to do to kind of catch a up. A little catch bit of up a head with start. Us. Yeah, we've got yeah. a little bit of a head start. What you know, what what drives their decision making? What's important to them? So they're they're an insurance company, but but. Um, built upon an engineering platform, and so they, you know, they've they've they have this strong, firmly held belief, which has been validated countless times, that you can engineer risk out of the built environment, and you can do so with sprinkler systems, um, with non-combustible materials, construction methodology, um, site selection. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, don't put don't put a, a timber frame building in a floodplain. Um, cause it's likely to burn and or flood. Right. <laughs> so, right. so, um, which kind of dumbs it down, but, but they've got a very, very, uh, very, very sophisticated engineering and insurance business that's built on that kind of that premises. As we think about occupying real estate around the globe, you know, it would be embarrassing and bad for us to go into buildings that, that where we, you know, sort of take on that kind of risk. So, the challenge for us is to identify space and markets that um, allow us to to realize and achieve the high the engineering standards that FM Global has. Uh, so if they ask their clients to do it, they for sure want to make sure that they're doing it themselves when they go to occupy space. So yes, rent is important. You know, yes, the concessions are important. Yes, the location's important. But solving for those three things are are important. But what's really also important is making sure that we um, are in a built environment that allows us to achieve those engineering goals. And that's hard, right? So, you know, Paris is one of the world's largest markets. Turns out there aren't too many buildings in Paris that that actually have sprinklers. You can find a handful of them in La Defense, but it's not part of the code. Most developers aren't going to go above and beyond code. It's not a market convention. So most tenants don't want it in their space if they don't have to have it. So it makes it really difficult to find space that that meets those those criteria. It turns out that's true in Sao Paulo. It's true in Cleveland for that matter, right? So um, the, the real challenge for us is, is you, know, um, you know, we've got a few more boxes to check um, and the criteria for making decision is probably a little bit more complicated for us. And then when you add on top of that, like what we're dealing now with, with COVID and the role that real estate has to play um, for the company as we emerge and head into this new era, um, where do we want to be, right? Do we, do we want to be in suburban markets, which we've typically occupied, or do we want to be in CBD markets? If you asked me that back in January of this year, I would have said we want to be in CBD markets because we're competing for, you know, this highly educated engineering talent, you know, I don't know if that's the case right now. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, the, 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 the downtown markets, I think are going to probably struggle for a while as we recover from, from COVID. Um, yeah. And so it's sort of, there are a lot of really interesting uh, uh, things to consider as we develop that strategy going forward. Yeah, it's interesting because you're still competing for the same talent. It's just that now that talent can really be anywhere and it's proven that they can make an impact and do their job anywhere. Yeah, and, and, and you know, a lot of people have said it, and I'll repeat it. But I, you know, I think that I think the remote work uh, scenario is 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 great for companies that have a really strong established culture. Um, I think it's a really difficult thing for a young company that's trying to establish and sustain a culture to do it remotely. I think it's I think there's that's probably a good, you know, it's I think I think 
those companies that are successful at it will be the exception rather than the the norm. Yeah, it's obviously too soon to tell um, how it's all going to play out anyways to see if this was really just some force experiment that was thrust upon us or if this is something that's going to have long-term effects on the way people work. Uh, that'll take a few years to play itself out. Yeah, but but my view on that is that is that you know I think that those I, th- I think the challenge to for for occupiers and in turn for landlords is to create work environments where you can invite your your you know your employees your people back and where they want to go back where where they don't feel like they have to go back where you're you're creating an environment for them where they want to be there, where they want to be with their colleagues. They want to be with their peers. They want to be with their bosses. They want to, they just want to be part of that culture. They want to get out of their kitchen or their living room or their broom closet or wherever it is they might be set up and working from home and get back to being, you know, being with their peers. Now they may not be there five days a week. It may be that they're there for two or three days a week and and it'll become, my view is that it'll become, you know, it'll be acceptable to have one or two people in a 10 person meeting to be, zooming in or calling in from teams or whatever, whatever the, the medium might be. Um, but I think, I think that, you know, and I think, think that, you know, the, the half days on Fridays are working on from Fridays or, are sort of gone. I think it's going to be, you know, whatever day you choose to work from home um, is the day that you're, is the day that you're home. So I think that we're going to see a lot more flexibility, you know, back into the, into the equation. But again, I, I really think that, that those companies that, that rely completely on a remote work, um, scenario because, because it's worked for the last eight or nine months are the ones that are going to be caught flat footed. I think culture wins. I think that, um, I think that, that the employee experience is, is always going to be important. And I think that sense of culture is always going to be important because people want to be a part of something. They want to be a part of something that makes them feel special, like they're contributing to it. And that's really hard to do when you're, um, disparate and, and, uh, removed from, from everybody yeah imagine like uh you go to college and you're you spend four years developing all these relationships with all these people and it's this kind of collegial um collaborative place and then all of a sudden you get a job and you're like oh yeah you don't actually don't have to meet anybody yeah you're you're gonna work from your apartment which you could probably barely afford (laughs) and um you know maybe once a quarter we'll, we'll fly you in or you can touch touch down or something so I agree. I think culture will eventually win out. I also think human nature eventually will win out too. I just, I, I personally don't think it's like natural to have um, as blurred lines as we have right now between work and life. Yeah. Um, I think people generally crave um, their, uh, their autonomy and their, the ability to interact with other people and also just do the stuff that they want to do. Like, I don't know about you, but I I just miss my daily routine so much Mm of, you know, having, having, um, you know, whether it's just stopping at the coffee shop I used to stop at or going to my gym or, you know, grabbing drinks with somebody after work or setting up coffee meetings. I, I think that all that stuff is, will, will, you know, will the, the human nature will, will overcome, any sort of economic benefit of, of trying to keep people from coming into an office. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's, and that's why, that's why God invented restaurants, right? Cause you don't want to eat, <laughs> you don't, you don't want to eat in your, you don't want to cook. You don't want to, you don't want to cook every night. You don't want to eat in your same, it, it, you know, you don't want to eat at home every single night. Um, you know, and I, you know, I think, and you also think sort of about business travel, right? I mean, you know, I think that, you know, 
again, there, I forget, I think Bill Gates said it, that I forget what he said, whether it's going to be 30 or 40 or 50% of business travel, it's going to be down by that much, right. Um, coming out of COVID because we're going to, we're going to, we realize that we don't need to travel quite as much. You know what, guess what people, people like to travel, you know, and I, you know, I travel extensively. I mean, I, <clears throat> I was doing 150, 200,000 miles a year, you know, in my last few years at Tishman Spire. And I, you know, I was, I was going to India for meetings or to China for a week or two, or, you know, South America, go to London, you know, four or five times a year. Um, did I have to go to every single one of those trips? Was it a, was it, I have to be there? No. I mean, Sam Shaver doesn't absolutely have to be anywhere. The world's going to keep spinning if I don't show up for a meeting, but you go cause you want to go. Right. It's like, and I, and one of the things I learned was that I can't, I can't possibly manage people in multiple markets if I don't know who they are. If I don't, you know, if I don't have a sense of, you know, if I don't have a relationship with them, um, it's really hard for me to meet with a prospective tenant in Chicago who's talking about a potential lease requirement in India. If I don't know what the landscape is like in India, if I don't know what our buildings are like, what the portfolio is like. So, you know, and, and, and that's what makes life interesting. And, and I think people travel because not only because they have to, but because they want to, because I think it adds an interesting dimension to their work and um, to the culture of their, of their company. And um, those are, those are all the sort of things that make life interesting. So I, I, I think a lot of that comes back over time. It reminds me a little bit of, you know, after, after nine eleven. I think there was a United Airlines uh, commercial that aired probably six or nine months after, um, you know, after the terrorist attack in, in New York. And it was a, you know, some executive that was handing out um, tickets, you know, in the boardroom saying, okay, you know, it's time for us. To, we got to get back out there. We got to go visit our clients. Right. Um, and I, th I think that same thing is going to happen. I think that, I think that people are going to, um, they're going to want to get back out to, to, to meet with their clients, meet with their colleagues, their peers, um, and, and kind of get the world spinning again that way. Yeah, I agree. Well, hopefully we're rounding the corner here and seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. What's your, um, what's your overall take on just the way that prop tech has proliferated and is, is continuing to, I, I would imagine now that you have one hat on the tenant side of things and, and still one uh, in the landlord side, um, you're seeing even more of it. Is, have you seen a, a rise, a flattening of, of prop tech since you started dabbling in it back, back at Tishman? Certainly a rise. I mean, I, it, it, it's, it, it feels like it's flattened a little bit over the last nine to 12 months, but not, but not by much. Um, you know, when we started looking into, into VTS, um, at Tishman Spire and I was, I was kind of an audience of one, there were, there were too many people that were, <laughs> that were interested in it and it got carved out of, of more budgets than I care to admit. Um, and you know, I won't get into the details, but, but there was, there was a lot of opportunity for us to sort of expand on that. Um, and it just was, there wasn't a lot of interest in it and, and it felt like, you know, not just VTS, but, but a lot of these technologies sort of felt like they were, um, you know, solutions in search of, of a problem. Um, and, you know, my view on that, and I think this is still true is that, is that, is that the real estate community for the most part is kind of made up of Luddites, right? It's like, you know, we, we don't, we don't need to, we don't need to, we don't need to invite technology into the equation. This is how we've always done it. It's always worked. Um, let's just kind of keep doing things the way that we've been doing it. 
I think that I think that that view is evolving, and that, and it seems like there are more companies that are willing to and excited about embracing technology because they see the benefits of it. You know, my my I think that we've really just kind of scratched the surface. I think that um, if you look at if you look at how technology's been applied to all different facets of business um, and the way that it's accelerated things and the way it's kind of changed our lives. Um, I think, I think real estate remains one of the, one of the last frontiers when it comes to technology. And, and you look at sort of the stock of buildings that are out there, right? Like so much of the stock, certainly if you just sort of look in the U S or even if you look in Boston, I mean, much of the product here on the, on the physical side is, is, you know, it, you know, it's not, not new, right. You've got a lot of older, right. older HVAC systems, older, you know, building automation systems. Um, there's so much that could be applied uh, when it comes to, when you start thinking about sensors and the way that people use space and you start thinking about um, green technologies and um, how it is we can be uh, more efficient uh, in terms of the way that we use energy and the way that we use space. I think all of that can be improved through through technology um, and and communication. Right? I mean, the 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 biggest challenge I think for most organizations, both internally and externally, is is perfecting and improving upon and perfecting communication. Um, and I think technology. Um, is is the silver bullet that can solve a lot of those those problems. Um, so I just think that there's I just think there's so much untapped potential, and 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 I remain excited about um, what's gonna what's gonna surface, what's gonna evolve over over the next five to ten years. Because I think there's just so much room to run with it. Yeah, I agree, one hundred percent. Well, Sam, thanks so much for your time. This has been fun. Thank you, Matt. Um, yeah, I I wish you luck with. Uh, with uh, steering the ship at Hobsbrook and you know how to find me. Um, <laughs> we, we don't live too far from each other here in Boston, but um, w- once we get on the other, other side of this COVID thing, we'll, we'll see each other in person once again. Great. I appreciate the opportunity, Matt. Thank you for the time. All right, Sam, take care.